It began with the Black Plague. Within weeks, the dead began to rise. Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Jonathan Victory. Hi. That's Richard Drum. Hello. Uh, we're going My to voice be... is breaking. I think I'm in puberty again. <laughs> He's growing before our very eyes. Um, yeah. We are going to talk about the Dublin Film Festival in a moment, but first I think we're just going to follow up on the previous episode we did where we made our Oscar predictions. Mm-hmm. We've since had the Screen Actors Guild Awards in America and the BAFTAs in the UK, and we have a... Did bit... you forget where the BAFTAs are from for a second there? I think I did, but um, what matters now is that, you know, they're usually an indicator of what's going to happen at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And what happened on both occasions was that Leonardo DiCaprio won Best Actor and Brie Larson won Best Actress. So both of them seem a sure thing for the awards, for the acting awards at the Oscars. Uh, when it comes to Best Supporting Actor, Mark Rylance won a BAFTA for Best Supporting Actor. I think we're both happy about the correct that. correct winner, yeah. Uh, when it comes to Best Supporting Actress, Alicia Vikander won at the Screen Actors Guild or SAG Awards, but uh, Kate Winslet won the BAFTA, mm-hmm. so that still seems a bit up in the air. When it comes to Best Director and Best Picture, it went to The Revenant, which, um, I don't know, thinking about it a bit more, it's kind of, it. the story isn't that great, but I guess it's just the craft of the film. You know what I mean? No, no it's, it, it's, it's, it's a good movie, but it's just like the storytelling yeah. is a bit flawed. I think it's the craft of the filmmaking that's getting recognised, though, that... They were filming out in the wild, like, natural light, the very long takes, there's just such great craft to it, so... You mentioned that as being a potential reason why I could win. I agree, but then again, Boyhood didn't get it for that reason, even though I suppose you'd argue Birdman did get it for that reason, so I don't know, it, it, it's, yeah. it's odd. And then in the screenplay categories at the BAFTAs, you had uh, Spotlight and The Big Short winning mm-hmm. the screenplay awards. So and that those are kind of more safe Oscar baity movies. So they're more safe Oscar baity movies, but I suppose they are more screenplay heavy than some of the other films. Like for example, Mad Max wouldn't. It's not up for best screenplay, I know, but you know it, it isn't as <laughs> screenplay centric uh, a film where something like Spotlight is very dialogue heavy and very arc heavy and all that crap. So I, I mm. guess it it would make sense that it's a more crafted piece of writing that it would be more likely to win. I mean, what I what I was disappointed didn't get anything was Ex Machina because I thought surprising. that was yeah. that was an outstanding British film, if you will. Now one could certainly say that, but that would be factually inaccurate. There was a category for outstanding British film uh, at the. the that, nominees, do, you want, do you want to talk the, us through that? Yeah, what, who were the, the nominees, nominees included? Now, I forgot what some of them. I think the Danish Girl might have been in there. Um, I know Forty Five Years, Ex Machina, The Lobster, something else, and then our own Brooklyn, which I. Which, you know, spoiler alert, one. Which is really funny because every Irish news outlet reporting on this fact has said Brooklyn at the BAFTAs last night won outstanding film. They're forgetting one word in there, British. We, 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 they we, might all cough up blood <laughs> if they mention that word. We get so offended if our actors are claimed as British, mm-hmm. but this is an Irish film which was a British co-production, so I, yes. thi- I think... Oh, The Lobster, it, it's It's not the... Yeah, and The Lobster was mainly shot in Ireland and everything as well, but it had some British involvement, hence its nomination there. But, um, yeah, Brooklyn seems like it's on an unstoppable path towards a surprise win for Best Picture. Yes, it's it's endless train of mediocrity continues to reach new stations and pick up more zombified hordes. Look, I really I, hope it wins, because Richard's reaction will be beautiful. It won't be, though. It wouldn't. That's the thing. It doesn't surprise me that it won. It won't surprise me if it wins again. It's just, it's, it's perplexing. Like, you have finally come around to my view of this. It's it's not a good film. It's so middle of the road. It's not even bad. Like, <laughs> at least you can say with The Lobster. The Lobster is uneven, but interesting. Uh, the Revenant. Re- the, the, the Yeah, it's all these yeah. things. Like, you can point out 
like flaws and like peaks and valleys. Brooklyn is an endless flatline. It is just a single. Brooklyn like, is a lovely film. It <laughs> is. It is the brown note of cinema. It is just <laughs> this single endless dull movement. Why can't you be happy? For A, the Irish industry, and B, the people of Enniscorthy who've suffered terrible flooding in recent months and could do with a boost to their town pride. No, you're not even equating those two things. The lobster... <laughs> Enniscorthy isn't portrayed well with. in the movie, though, are they? Um, I mean, the, sorry, the lobster? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that was great. With. The lobster was great, Ex Machina was great, all these other nominees. I mean, the way it is... Objectively being, like, speaking, outstanding film. You cannot argue that Brooklyn was a more, quote-unquote, outstanding film than Ex Machina, than 40 five years then the lobster hell i'll even say danish girl deserved it more than brooklyn did and danish girl wasn't very good i like danish girls but like would, would you have been fine with uh like if it was called best because best is a vaguer term i think outstanding <laughs> is something like where this film is doing something different or unique you know which yeah brooklyn very much wasn't unless no even the stereotyping was his father ted level so that, there was nothing new there there okay no Let, let's look i i feel i spilled enough verbal diuretic ink on this movie let's just the point is, I'm very excited for the Oscars now, especially the possibility of an upset win for Brooklyn. So let's I just called see what Brooklyn happens. winning the Best Picture. I said that last episode. I'm convinced it's going to win Brooklyn, Best Picture. Brooklyn, That's not a Brooklyn. good thing. Speaking of Irish film, though, we do have the Dublin Film Festival mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. month, and uh, there's going to be plenty of Irish films at it. Um, but I suppose we could we had a look through the program ourselves to see what was interesting, if anything stood out. So uh, what caught your eye, Richard? Um, I'm interested in a film called Brand New Testament. I read the blurb. The only screenshot they had was seemingly a monkey in a post-coital position with a woman in a bed. I am intrigued. Gorilla. Gorilla, sure. It seems like it's God a sort of... God lives in Brooklyn or something. Is it Brooklyn? God decides to New write... Jersey. Yeah, it's somewhere. God deci- is living among us and decides to write a, a new testament. Yes. And as they say in uh, Book of Mormon, it's like the the third one of the trilogy. Um, so this seems to be a comedy in that kind of vein, de- dealing with religious issues, a sort of Python-esque or Trey Parker, Matt Stone kind of thing. That'd be my hope. Again, the problem I think we both realised reading some of these blurbs uh, is that they are trying very hard not to explain what the movies are in too much detail, which is good because I like not being spoiled for these kind of movies and kind of festivals. On the other hand, it makes them very hard to talk about. I, I, I'm not fully sure what to gauge from Brian Testament, because it could be, like you're saying, a Python-esque uh, train and that kind of thing, or it could just be, it'll just ride on the wave of sacrilegiousness for comedy's sake. Or it could be like a Scandin- very abstract Scandinavian thing, like pigeons sat on the branch of existence of the 100-year-old man who fell out the window that of the very, very long good. titles. I'll say this for Scandinavian cinema, they have very long titles when they're translated into English, and that's that's amusing for us, but... um, um. What was this film, uh, Evolution, or Evolution? Because uh, I was reading the blurb for that. Uh-huh. Nowhere does it say anything about the story or what the movie is about. I read the blurb twice, and I don't know what it's about, but I want to see it. it Why? It, it, what, so what, what do they tell you it's kind of thematically about? Because I'm a film, former film student. I, of course I want to see a movie that can't be described in your English language. It, it, okay, from what I gathered of it, it's set in some nebulous never time, in some nebulous neverwhere, in a sort of cloud atlasly, po- cloud atlasly, cloud atlas e yep. post-apocalypse, maybe racially free thing. If it's so shrouded in mystery, why? <laughs> what, what, what's what's the hook for you? Is it just because that's the you might as well go to the surprise film? Because <laughs> we well, no, because the surprise film could just be a film that I have heard of. Whereas this thing, I can't even describe. So I I, I want my brain to kind of go mm. huh? for an hour and a half. I want to go in not knowing what it is, not knowing where it's going. 
Not knowing if there is a plot, if it is post-plot, perhaps. Who knows? Ugh. I mean, film is a narrative medium, so I'm hoping there's at least some story. I mean, so before before we started recording, you said there was another movie called Remainder? In a similar vein, I think, to Evolution. I'm not really sure where the, the emphasis should be in Evolution, because they have an accent on the E, but, <laughs> but we're putting kind of the French noises on the end of it. So, Evolution, I suppose. Remainder. Remainder. The blurb seemed to suggest that um, a, a man gets crushed by a mysterious object. He wakes up in a, a hospital and a lawyer is offering him millions of pounds to keep quiet. So okay, that's uses, what you read about it. He uses book. the millions of pounds to, to then build... Or yeah, or to build apartments or something. That's what I read was that a man gets Donnie Darko'd and then tries to memento slash David Lynch the way out of it. it the the yeah. way the blurb was written, it was... it. I was getting vague flashbacks to Lost River last year where it was just every single movie and like all of the, direct- the director's influences, he was just throwing them out there. So it could either be an interesting movie in the Lynchian uh, good era Nolan vein or it could be Lost River 2.0 and I'm happy with either conclusion there, either outcome. Because Lost River was an interesting, interesting film. Yeah, because that just screened at last year's festival. I remember actually walking to a shop and seeing Lost River on DVD and going, oh yeah, that did exist. I saw that. No, we, we did our Best of Year episode and I was like, do you know what I was... Ryan Gosling directed a movie this year. It's like, oh yeah, I did see that. So, I, I mean, I think the thing about film festivals though is that they give you a chance to discover things mm-hmm. that, you know, you might not get a chance to see otherwise. But, um, like, in, like, in terms of stuff that caught my eye, I mean, there was a few documentaries that sound mm-hmm. interesting. There was... Not a film which is about Samuel Beckett's uh, one and only film, which he fittingly enough called film because he was pretentious like that. Um, there was uh, Hitchcock Truffaut, a documentary about Hitchcock and Truffaut. I've read the book. Book's very better. And uh, <laughs> you're one of those the book is better people for a documentary you haven't seen. <laughs> a yet. Documentary about a book of interviews. Yeah. There's there's another uh, there's a documentary called the Judas Iscariot Lunch, which is interviews with ex priests. Well, uh, hence the subject matter is kind of about why why did they leave the church, and that's kind of a subject I'm interested in. So, I might check that out. But um, there was there was a documentary about the making of Michael Collins because it's the 20th anniversary of Michael Collins, and it being the 1916 centenary. They're they're they are screening Michael Collins again, but they're mm-hmm. also doing another thing involving uh, the extras. Yeah, it's called it. Seen but Unnoticed, and I I was reading through the blurb for this one. Again, the blurbs, I have to say, are a source of their own amusement and enjoyment for Adif this year, because they're all just very weird. Uh, seen but Unnoticed appears to be a combination of a screening of some kind of documentary that may only be an hour long, in conjunction with the actual people who are the subjects of the documentary sitting around in a big room just talking about the exact same thing they talk about in the documentary, I guess. Anyway, the point of it is, it's about the extras from the shooting of Michael Collins, who apparently... Now, this may be some sort of legal issue, I don't know, because the blurb expressly mentioned that they weren't paid. And they were just... They drove in of their own accord. They brought their own family heirlooms from home. From the Rising, I guess. Uh, so that that seems illegal, that they had a lot of extras they just didn't pay. But anyway, besides the point... <laughs> Um, I wonder if it'll go into that at all. I just feel like when I first read that, <laughs> that is the most Irish-sounding RT documentary I've ever heard of. Let's let's fill. Let's talk about the extras from a movie. But then I was like, okay, mm. fair enough. So they're all they all volunteer to do it. Oh, they were volunteers. Mm, interesting historical allegory. Plenty of RT <laughs> documentaries about making of Barry Lyndon or Ryan's daughter or this Marlon Brando movie that never got finished. And uh, no, more specifically, just the this. idea though of getting you know Mary from down the country lane who drove all the way up to Dublin on the bus and brought 
about the shawl her mother wore when she got shot at the GPO and had a good talk. About it. You know what I mean? That's the kind of that's the kind of the RTE-ness I gleaned from it. But do you know? Before you go on, yes. do you know what I'm looking forward to? Twenty years from now, a documentary about Brooklyn and all the Enniscorthy locals and how happy they were to work on the best picture-winning film, Brooklyn. Unless everyone turns on that movie in six months and it becomes the new Room, and then not not Room as in Room, that is in the new the, the room. room. Yes, very important to make that distinction. The Lenny Abramson movie Room. Uh, Stellar filmmaking. Tommy Wiseau's The Room is the opposite end of the spectrum. Fascinating to watch if you ever get around to it. On a further mild tangent, the Sugar Club should absolutely just screen Room one night at one of their their Room screenings. Everyone comes drunk, (laughs) ready to throw spoons, and they just have to watch this two hour long Brie Larson sad fest. It's Mm. a great movie. Anyway, but back to this documentary. I feel Mm. like it's worth mentioning because both you and I have done extras work and we got paid for it yes. <laughs> like these people apparently well maybe it was I, I don't know why it's it, very the strange 90s were different it's very, the 90s were different but I just feel like it's not a particularly glamorous line of work and I know my experiences if I was on a documentary talking about being an extra would be I sat around for eight hours I got through a good book or two uh, that was a 99% of my experience I was on the set of Penny Dreadful. I spoke to Ava Green. She made eye contact with me. She was very nice. So maybe people have like... I was on the like... Tiger and wasn't actually used for any point in the entire day. So we all just sat on the bus and got fed for nine hours. That was... I mean... <laughs> odd. But the point is, maybe people have some anecdotes. Or maybe it is just about pride in Irish film or <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> what pride? What film? Okay, well, <clears throat> look, if, if you're not into Irish film, there's plenty from abroad to see. There's a, a couple of films that caught my eye include uh, Miles Ahead, which is Don Cheadle playing Miles Davis and d- directing as well. For some reason, I thought you were going to say Miles Teller. And I don't know why I thought you were going to say that, but I want to that That would movie. be a bold casting move. That would be Joseph Fiennes as Michael Jackson's level of uh, I forgot ballsy. that was a real thing. And, oh, God, I mean, can we... We Let's don't, not even, we don't, we don't even don't have time to. to get into that, but um, I do like that there's a Miles Davis movie and there's a pun in the title, so that, mm-hmm. that's encouraging, that and that's it's Don Cheadle, he's always great. Um, uh, Demon is an Israeli horror film that draws its inspiration from Jewish folklore. Uh, that just sounds interesting because of how they, you know, if, if you are taking stuff from mythology or, or maybe stuff that, you know, your own mm-hmm. cultural background isn't familiar with, that that can lead to some interesting, exciting filmmaking. Um the thing I'm I'm looking forward to seeing is um, Desierto, which is uh, Jonas Cuarón, Alfonso Cuarón's son. He co-wrote Gravity with uh, Alfonso Cuarón and uh, is now directing his own movie for the first time. And um, I'm just laughing at the, at the idea of having to have two people write Gravity. Sandra Bullock gets lost in space for an hour and a half. Like it, 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 there's not much dialogue. It's just set piece after set piece. That took two writers. That's um, look. His son has now directed his first feature film, and it's all about. Immigration along the U.S.-Mexico border, which uh, Donald Trump just wants to wall up, so it's very timely, relevant filmmaking. Um, I think um, I'll be interested in seeing that. But um, you you have a perplexed look. No, your I'm face. trying to recall. There was a film you showed me. There's a couple of films you showed me about that exact same. Subject. Sinombre was Kari uh, Fukunaga, who then went on to do True Detective. And no, what's um, your own though? The Pearl Lost or something? Or Pearl Lost? No, not Pearl Lost. It was something. Perlos or Perlos or something. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I thought Alfonso Cuarón made that one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I guess he didn't. Regard, it's irrelevant. Let's keep going. 
Well, Amoris, Amoris Paros? Amoris Paros there was um, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. Oh, that was him. Oh, okay. I can pronounce your name, Director of the Revenant. When he accepted his BAFTA for Best Director, mm-hmm. uh, he, he made some joke about uh, Donald Gleeson and said, them, Sorry, I can't pronounce your name, uh, Donald Gleeson. I'm just like, look, the M and H are silent, okay? And he's like, he, he just made some quip about, it's as bad as American saying Iñárritu. He's... Yeah, that's, I just, that's funny. What's wrong I mean, that? I, but I've seen it so many times. People are talking about Dom Hall Gleason. Dom, and uh, yeah, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan has had a hard time though. Every single chat show she's on, they're always asked. She's always asked about her name and how. I mean, and I think we're just we're just so used to it. It's just like, oh yeah, Neve. That's M H is a V. Duh. I mean, because like even though barely any of us speak Irish, we can still kind of just well, yeah. But it'd be akin to us being shown one of those like Welsh town names where it's full of consonants. You're like, I I don't oh, know what man. to do with this. <laughs> I just don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Well, also, and... thank God she did not win that BAFTA for Best Actress. Brie Larson deserved that. Saoirse Ronan did not. Brie Larson deserved that, but, you know, again, any any success for Brooklyn, I just I just love seeing your reaction to it, so long so may that continue. Frustrating and perplexing. <laughs> anyway. But it's, we should be happy for Irish film. I there would are, be are... if that Irish film was The Lobster. <laughs> In terms of Irish films screaming, screening, screaming <laughs> in um, celebration that they're finally getting a screening in Dublin, we have Viva, which is... Um, <laughs> you just gave me a great idea for a, like a fuck you to someone. Um, you basically get them all to pay for a screening at some festival and you go in and it, the screen stays blank and it's just a single high-pitched scream for an <laughs> hour and a half. And you see how long people last. We mentioned the Samuel Beckett the documentary about Samuel Beckett, not a film. Did you know that Samuel Beckett's shortest play mm-hmm. is exactly that? It's just thir- it's thirty Excellent. seconds of someone screaming. Not long enough. The 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 name escapes me right now, but um, he yeah, wouldn't so- just call it scream after calling his film film. <laughs> oh, what was it called? Damn it! Um, Beckett only wrote about nineteen plays, so it's very easy to look up uh, if anyone is so inclined. In terms of just looking at Irish films that are screening, uh, Viva is. Uh, Paddy Ratnock, I'm gonna say, and um, director of I Went Down, and uh, Marco Halloran, the writer of Adam and Paul, and they've set a story in Cuba among the drag queen community. So it's 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 an Irish film in the sense Irish people are making it, but mm-hmm. I think they're they're setting it in a new place, dealing with them. Um, uh, I, I suppose trans issues, which there is a cultural moment around at the moment. Yeah. So I mean that that could be interesting to see what their take on it is. My name is Emily has had lots of. Um, coverage before over the last few years just because of the circumstances of how it was made it's um harry potter's ivana lynch uh going on a road trip and journey of self-discovery and stuff but it's uh, it was there was crowdfunding for the film so that the director who's suffering from motor neuron disease could make it so for play uh, to that director one, yes. simon fitzmaurice so it'd be good to finally see that and maybe see that movie get some recognition um atlantic is a documentary about uh, fishing communities in ireland norway and canada and the reason it's interesting to me is because it's the same director as uh, The Pipe, which was a fantastic documentary. It was really brilliant. So uh, that'll be showing. Um, there was one more Irish film, actually, that that sounded interesting to both of us called Traders. Now, it sounds interesting to me in that the, the elevator pitch for it is good in a similar way to like something like Looper, where it's a very simple idea that I, I like structurally, I fear it could descend into... Because, okay, the setup for it is that you organise a fight online or something like that. You organise a fight with someone and you bring your life savings in a bag with you. Yes. And you fight to the death and whoever wins leaves. Now, of course, this being a movie, that means it all goes wrong, they both survive, someone can't kill the other one, that's something like that. It no, sounds like it could become a sort of just a 
bleak existential sort of what is life kind of movie. I, 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 but no, but there's so many Irish movies that are like that, and I exactly. hate that. So if it this is more of a dark comedy akin to like Fight Club, American Psycho, or something where even as a good action like movie, the, a lot of fight scenes, I'd be happy with. I, I'm worried that it'll be a fight scene at the start and then just slow bleak existentialism for the next ninety minutes. I pl- please don't let it be that because I just think it's such a great concept. It's such a great way a great of, concept, of thematically yeah. exploring the recession and the fallout from it. Yeah, so. Definitely. Um, I mean, I think there's the, the point is there's plenty to look at at this festival. I mean, there's uh, two plenty of biggest things worth mentioning. Uh, I think it's sold out now, but the Ben Wheatley screening should be good. Uh, High Rise with yes. Tom Hiddleston. It's Ben Wheatley directing Tom Hiddleston. Well, ben Wheatley's one of the few on. people I still think can make good horror movies in the modern age. So if he's speaking, I would love to see him speak. I think it's sold out, sadly. But if anyone can or has tickets, you should definitely go. Other than that, uh, my third favorite great old lady. Angela Lansbury is coming to the country to talk about her life, I guess. Uh, but more importantly, they're screening the original Manchurian Candidate, which she's in, which everyone should watch because it's amazing. It's Frank Sinatra, basically... Actually, no, it's Frank Sinatra, yeah, basically playing a pre-James Bond, James Bond, like, doing karate chops on evil Koreans that are trying to invade... It's, it's just great crack. I highly recommend the Manchurian Candidate. Uh, Angela Lansbury is amazingly kind of vampish in it, and it's a great movie. Fair play to... on in the lighthouse. <clears throat> uh, David Hare is giving a masterclass on screenwriting. Uh, Chris Menges, the cinematographer, is mm-hmm. giving a cinematography masterclass as uh, a public talk on history and film. And um, I what leave it there. You a take. talk on history, just history generally. Just, they're talking about history as it relates to film. It being um, the Audi Dublin Film Festival, no mm-hmm. longer the Jameson Dublin International Film Festival. Audi, they've changed the. They've they've a new sponsor anyway. Still great programming though. I mean, I think the programmers. Um, Deserve a lot of credit. Um, have a look at the Dublin Film Festival website, uh, adif.ie. And, Read uh, the blur. Some of them are do. very amusing. Yeah, that's the thing. Just just find something you're interested in and go and support the festival. We're going to talk about some of the movies that have been out recently. Mm-hmm. Um, quickly, there's a, just a few things um, I saw, which Richard didn't get, have the chance to see. Stranger Land is an Irish-Australian co-production starring Nicole Kidman and Michael Jackson, who's, um, Joseph Fiennes, whose uh, children go missing in the Australian outback. So, it's about it's about the search for them. It's it's pretty good in terms of that genre. I mean, that genre isn't specifically my thing, but I was seeing it because the screen screenwriter Michael Kinirons was my screenwriting lecturer in film school. So, um, I interviewed him on a previous episode of this podcast. If you go back through the iTunes feed, um, it's really good. Check it out. Uh, another film that's that was quite fun was uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And this surprises me because I I haven't read the book. I've seen the trailer and like this looks perfectly adequate. It looks very much like Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which was a one note joke, which wasn't very good, but apparently it was okay. This is better than Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. It, it's it's not difficult, but okay. <laughs> no, but it's just it's more fun, and I think it it's definitely I've heard it is more fun if you mm. know the source material very like well, if you know Jane Austen very well, because. The usual scene where Darcy and uh, Elizabeth Bennet have have an argument, but this time they're kung fu fighting while having the argument. So th- there's lots of funny moments like that. There's um, uh, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones in an eye patch as the uh, Britain's greatest zombie slayer. Uh, she's fantastic in it. I mean, she's basically playing Cersei again, yeah. but it's well, just doing it as well. Fine. Charles Dance from Game of Thrones also in this, of playing that same uh, stern patriarch figure he's always typecast as nowadays. But um. Still good, and I was I was surprised by just how much fun I had. Now I didn't I'm not that familiar with Pride and Prejudice, so I didn't appreciate it on that level. But um, still pretty fun. It's it's like the 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 world was established so well. The rules of 
um, what kills a zombie and what doesn't, where the zombies are and everything. It's all great until there's there's something they do at the ending which is a bit screwy, which I think personally kind of undermines a lot of the rules for me, but it's I suppose it's a kind of nice sort of surprise ending horror movies like to pull. It's a lot of fun. I, I would actually recommend checking it out. I mean, because it sounded like... Because I know at one point it was meant to be David O. Russell and Natalie Portman, which... Admittedly, Portman sounds interesting for the lead in that because she obviously is quite classical in her sort of. You could see her in a Jane Austen notation, so yeah. that works quite well. She still but, produces. That would have been a lot of fun. David but, O. Russell, on the other hand, yeah. so overrated, so dull as a director. But uh, more, just the cast for this seems like I don't know who any of these people are. Like the main cast, you know, I, Sam Riley. He's playing Darcy. I know Sam Riley, yes, but I don't know. I, I like I didn't know Lena Headey's in it. I didn't know Charles Dance's in it. But they're not in the trailers and on the posters. I saw a snippet of Matt Smith. Oh, Matt Smith's in this. That's cool. Oh, Matt Smith. I forgot. He's fantastic in this. I'm He's dying to so unsettling. Funny, Excellent. but unsettling. <clears throat> um, uh, there was one other film I wanted to mention then called The Assassin, and this was um, a Chinese movie marketed as a martial arts movie, and I went to see it, and there's very little martial arts in it. It's few and far between. And I just, I bring this movie up because I actually fell asleep at the screening. That is something I never, ever do. That, that Movies never, like, would be so boring as to put me to sleep. And the problem with this movie is that it's slow, so slow-paced and contemplative that it actually just lulled me into a relaxing sleep. I was woken up during the credits and I'm like, I didn't, did I? I mean, so, um, so I can't be mad at the film because clearly it was quite relaxing. But if I had to tell you what the movie was about, uh, the titular assassin is hired to kill her cousin, who is also a prince. That's it. That That's all I could tell you about what happens in the movie, because it all just blends together. There's very long dialogue. It's all them talking about stuff people did previously. Do you remember what the nun told the princess? The princess said all the dialogue is like that, and it's like... I mean, I, I mean there's a moment early on in the movie that I think is a kind of microcosm of the movie's problems, where... Uh, somebody is telling a fable, and it's about a bluebird who a king wants to get to sing, and the bluebird won't sing, so the queen says, uh, Bluebirds only sing among their own kind. Bring it a mirror. So they brought it a mirror, and it started singing. And I watched that, and I thought, The huh? hell does that mean? Well, you kind of ruined the joke I was going to make, which is that oh, you, you listen to that, you listen to that, and you think, Yeah, that's so profound. Wait, what? Like, 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 you know what I mean? It's something that like sounds profound and meaningful, but it actually doesn't mean anything at mm. all. And this movie is so long, and just says nothing, even though it is beautifully shot. Like, yeah. it won prizes at Cannes. And I, I, guess, I guess that's largely because the cinematography was stunning, but I guess it, it's a bit like a Terrence Malick movie where, okay, oh, no. it might look amazing, but if, if there's no... If the story just isn't interesting, it's just such a waste. I mean, if it was 10 minutes long and it was a piece of video art, I would love it, but film is a narrative medium. I think you need to have a story to tell. So uh, just I, I just mentioned The Assassin just for being having the accolade of the first and hopefully only movie that I actually fell asleep while watching. It does sound like a combination of an almost self-aware piss take of every trope you get from kind of Asian movies. Like those kind of speeches and those kind of weird uh, abstract metaphors and whatnot. And also being a million hours long and not having any But it's scenes. so slow and lifeless. Even even though it looks amazing, it's just so... Ugh, it's so jarring. I, I hate when that happens. I mean... Um, we could talk about movies we've both seen, though. And I mean, I think I think I the feel first that would one, be conducive to conversation, yes. But just as a segue, 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 segue. Um, Spotlight we both saw, and yes. I think it kind of had the opposite problem where 
the the story was very interesting and very important mm-hmm. to tell, but it wasn't made that well, was it? I don't think it was made badly. I just think they, the the choices they made, and I think Mark Kermode made this point, and I sort of agree with it. Uh, that it it's very unshowy. It's very visually kind of drab and ordinary, and it it, it it's not interesting to look at. But then again, it shouldn't be because it's about very serious subject matter. It shouldn't be flashy and fun. Like we'll get the trombone in a minute. Um, which is <laughs> that was sort a fun of, movie. Yeah, and that was about serious stuff too. Um, but it, it could kind of justify it. Whereas this again, because trombone like the thoughts, the past, it's sort of done. You know, it has relevance. Spot, spotlight now. is very yeah, recent history exactly, though. Nine eleven exactly. happens during the movie. Well, more than that, like especially in this country, those kind of scandals are still happening about weeks. So yeah, not, you know what I mean. No, but you see, I kind of I I despise the Catholic Church and all cults. I refuse to call religions cults just because of their size. I should be like telling everyone, yeah, go see this movie because it shows how bad the Catholic Church are. But I'm kind of like, I can't, <clears throat> I can't really give it any more than a sort of mild recommendation. It's yeah. like a really good TV movie. Yes. Um, what what you were saying, or what our fellow critic Mark Kermode was saying about the sort of aesthetic kind Hello, of sushi, the um, like we know him, we're on his level. Don't don't. We are the though. Film Ireland podcast. We are a big deal to Ugh. someone. To our listeners, all all three of you, <clears throat> we have um, all four of you. Uh, we have um, in in spotlight though. It's just it's um, really it's a important very story Oscar. about the um, yeah about the cover up of child abuse in the Catholic Church. So that kind of subject matter we are taking on, uncovering corrupt a, a, a team of investigative reporters, the Spotlight team, who are uncovering the child abuse uh, scandal. That is like a, a Oscar Beatty kind of subject. I think what we found watching the movie, though, is we kept laughing how much the word spotlight was used in the first half hour. The first half, the whole way through. Like, it eased up after the first half an hour, but the, the, it never stopped. We kept muttering They'd to each other. They'd walk into rooms and just kind of say, I'm here with spotlight. Like, spotlight? It was like some code name that opened doors a la mm. the, um, like the stone cutters. It was like, it, yeah. it, it was this name they walked into <clears> buildings and just mentioned and dropped down. It was ridiculous. But they were in the investigative team at the Boston Globe who uncovered all this and it was Michael Keaton, uh, Rachel McAdams and Mark Ruffalo playing some of them. Now, <clears throat> I kind of hate this movie for how Ruffalo and McAdams have gotten Oscar nominations that they do yeah. not deserve. They are fine in this. They are both good actors. I enjoy seeing their work, them work in things, but... I hate it when Oscars decide to give a person, you know, a, an Oscar nomination rather than the specific performance because both their performance in this are really average. Like it's it's it it just makes the Oscars so white thing more frustrating. Like because like what we were saying in the previous episode, where I was suggesting you could have had Benicio del Toro in Best Supporting Actor or Manda Bruegel from Room in Best Supporting Actress. Um, remove the spotlight actors. These these are not Oscar-worthy performances at all. So I, th- I think I'm just kind of... White mediocrity is rewarded before black brilliance. I think there was... there were Of all the years the Oscars could have done this, there was Dope, Straight Outta Compton, Tangerine, uh, Creed apparently is getting nominated for other things, or Sylvester Stallone is for some uh, reason. Recent, recent. Um, look, it, I, I feel like the Oscars aren't really racist because they're rewarding this movie... Because of its white cast, and it's like, and again, it's an important story to tell, and it's like, it's it's fine, but it's not worthy of these acting nominations or the directing nomination. Because the direction, even however much you can justify that maybe it needs that kind of austere aesthetic, um, I I kind of I kind of hate it when there there's something that makes a movie like 
flawed, but then you say, oh, but you kind of need it for the story. I kind of hate that justification. Yeah, the reason I think it, it is good on one level and also completely makes sense as an Oscar movie is that it's the kind of film you could see being taught in, like, first-year cinema classes. Could you? Yes, because... it's really flatly shot. It's flatly shot, but the directing makes a lot of sense in that, you know, there's, there's churches in every second shot. Like, it's that kind of really obvious filmmaking. I think, and I agree, Ruffalo did not serve a nomination. Ruffalo isn't good in this. He's actually bad. I found him incredibly annoying to watch because he's very jumpy and, like, yippy and like he's on cocaine the whole time and he's such a merry sue everything goes so well for him well, I, I, I hate these strong male characters who like have everything go right for them I their investigation single, is really easy yeah, isn't that's that's I wouldn't thing. single everything, him out for this because every single thing they do is just they'll I'm trying to think of specific scenes examples of it now but um, there's, it's like basically when they're you're thinking it's going to be difficult for them to yes, uncover no this especially works. in a major catholic city like Boston that journalists will face all sorts of obstinacy and like no, you can't look at these files. And they're basically in scenes where it's like, come on, let me look at these files. Okay. And, like, they kind of get through all their challenges pretty easily. Yeah. But I feel like if anyone should have been nominated for this movie, I actually think McAdams is pretty good. I, I'm not totally against her nomination. Fine. Yeah, she's fine, but, but she's, she's okay. Oscar I think Lee Schreiber should have been nominated. He was really good in this. Like, it was a really kind of muted performance by his standards. Hmm. Same with the Tooch, but uh, the Tooch was Stanley just... Tucci as an Armenian lawyer representing child abuse victims. He, he's always really strong. I really I like couldn't Stanley tell Tucci. if he was taking the piss or not though, because he, he's sort of playing against type and that he's this very kind of hmm. somber character. But then you kind of the very last shot you see him hmm. in, he's Stanley Tucci again. Like he's just big smiley, <laughs> wide grin. You can almost see him winking at the camera. And but... actually, with Big Short as well, I would have thought mm. um, not Christian Bale, but Steve Carell should have been Oscar nominated. You know, Christian Bale already has an Oscar and he's playing like a stereotype of autistic people that's not that impressive. And, you know, the Oscars just do seem to have this problem that because it's a boys club, they just like patting each other on the back and they think, oh, they're a nice person, you know, that they deserve recognition for their work instead of like actually judging things on merit, you know? I don't think Spotlight is without merit. I just think it, it's in a year where there are definitely better films. Like, I totally get why it got nominated. And it also feels like people are moving towards this idea of the nominations list being changed, that there's a, a Best Ensemble cast award. Like, the, like the Screen Actors Guild do. Yeah, and I think this film feels like a proto-example of why that maybe should happen. I don't think this was a particularly strong ensemble cast, but it mm. felt like it was screaming for an Oscar that didn't exist. Like you have John Slattery playing the character he always plays. You have Liev Schreiber kind of playing slightly against type and very muted and sort of... I thought his character was interesting. Then his character got... was interesting because he's a Jewish editor who comes into the Boston Globe and he's the one who tells them yeah. to go and investigate this. Whereas I, I would have thought with this kind of movie, it's usually like the investigative team want to do it and the editor is like, uh, I've got the mayor on my ass and I've got the blah, blah. No, you're not following this lead or whatever. Whereas mm. it seems to be the other way around where it's like he's the one who... Starts he's not in the movie much, but no. it's a kind it's of like Mark Rylance. Jesus. It's yes. a Mark Rylance kind of. It was very Mark Rylance, yes, but not as good as Mark Rylance. Hmm. I will say, if I had two major complaints about this movie, I would say that one, I thought the editing was a bit crap. In that certain scenes went on too long, or was left to hang for no good reason. For I say, I guess a sense of gravitas, but nothing happened. And also, they just jump randomly ahead. Like there's one bit when Slattery comes to Ruffalo's house, and they're talking. And then it just cuts ahead to him leaving and they oh, wait a minute, one last thing. And it, it, why can that have been part of the dialogue in the previous scene? It's really weird editing. Mm. On top of that, the score for this movie was seemingly made by a computer program. It's yes. just the same three piano chords, plinkily-plonkily, over every scene for the sake of drama. We were we were joking about it being scoregenerator.com, that there was yes. just a website that just looks at your footage and just does the most generic thing possible. But we, were, we my, got to the credits. My heart sunk because it was Howard Shore. I couldn't of believe that was Silence Howard of Shore. the Lambs, Lord of the Rings, uh, 
a lot of Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. movies. He's so he's such a good composer, and and this he makes such the most flat kind of generic score. So it really sounds like they hired him. He made a single uh, sort of suite in maybe a day that was possibly six minutes long, and they just kind of chopped them and put it in the movie. It was literally just the same theme over and over again, and it was just a piano. There was nothing um, but piano. The Francis Ford Coppola Dracula only had like three themes in it, but they but were they, they made kind of, enough variations yes. on it where it actually does work. So I, I don't think that's the problem. I think it was just in this movie, it's just like everything else about the movie. It's just really flat and kind of disappointing, given given how much like adulation and praise it's getting. Yeah, I feel like it shouldn't be in the best picture nomination list. Certainly, I I do think very it's... overrated. Oscars are racist. Um, <laughs> whatever, it's fine. I wouldn't say don't go see it. it it's it's perfectly okay. Hashtag Oscars so white, so very white. Spot white. Let us just talk about another film, which I I, I we this was really fun and it almost seemed more more Oscar baity than Spotlight, so it doesn't make sense why this isn't getting more nominations yes. until we kind of get into it, but it yes. was um, Trumbo. Trumbo, um, <clears throat> which I think last episode I said I want Brian Cranston to win the acting category, and I kind of, having now seen the movie, stand by it a lot more. I, I agree. I, I said it on a whim last time because I liked the man, but now he actually was really good in this. See, Leo is just is just certain to win now, but it's a shame because yeah. I, I think I Cranston actually gives a genuinely for me he disappears into the character. Yeah. I, 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 and everything he says just has such warmth. It's a, so it's like it's a really funny performance whilst also like having the weight it needs for the subject matter. He he plays Dalton Trumbo, a screenwriter who's blacklisted during the McCarthy era. So it's about. Um, it's about him dealing with that sort of uh, persecution and the loss mm-hmm. of work. He then works his way back up, sort of doing anonymous script doctoring for John Goodman's B-movies. John, John Goodman, Goodman playing just John Goodman. Uh, the same character, he pretty much the same character he played in The Artist and Argo, which also Barton both won Pink. Best Picture. So, Except Trumbo isn't in the Best Picture race. It's it's Very It's gotten strange. Best Actor... But um, in terms of the movie, it's about the film industry. It's about screenwriters. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, good white liberal people standing up to injustice from Republicans. And, you, you know, it has all well, these Oscar-based elements. Like, it's equating uh, a Hollywood-specific industry issue with a wider sociological problem, which they love. Like, that, this should be, by all accounts, a very Oscar-friendly movie. And it's not just uh, Brian Cranston who's strong. You have Ella Fanning, Helen Ella Mirren was Tudyk, great. I'm uh, Michael Stolberg. Pretty strong cast until I was getting to that Helen Mirren, who <laughs> is terrible. terrible in this. She's actually really bad. And I think the problem is... No, no, the first few scenes where she's, like, cackling and she's, like, being very over the side, it, it is a lot of fun. Actually, do you remember her but, this was her first appearance? We both laughed really hard. She yeah. was really great in that, like, single bit. And then it's like, that, ma'am, smile crap. for a picture. She has the scowl on her face. She turns to the camera and she has this, like, laugh as if she's full of gaiety and mm. she's middle of a big toothy laugh. And then as the picture is taken, she immediately goes back to scowling. And the thing is, she plays a gossip columnist who has an axe to grind for <clears throat> anyone who is a communist or suspected yeah. communist. Dalton Trumbo was actually a member of the American Communist Party, though, so that was, like, usually these movies are about someone who's, like, no, they're just liberal and they're being smeared, but they've had this movie actually be, like, or had this scene where Brian Cranston is explaining to his daughter what communism is, and yeah. it's like, do, do you think it's fair to share things? Oh, you little commie. And it's like, so, I mean, for an American movie to do that is, um, uh, it knew as well, but I mean, to just, yeah, no, I, I think something the movie tries to do is just talk about moral complexity and talk about people who were in difficult situations and had to um, rat on their friends or whatever. Uh, the problem with uh, Helen Mirren, though, is that she's too one-dimensionally evil, even though, like, her perspective about, like, keeping America safe from yeah. communists, that is a thing you could 
make sort of understandable, if not justifiable, the same way Tom Hardy's character in The Revenant isn't just a caricature like that. You kind of see where he's coming from. It, it, but Say that word again. You kind of see where he's coming from. No, no never mind. <laughs> what word was it? Caricature. Caricature. Okay, this has come up a few times. What is funny about me saying the word caricature? Because this, this is there's a, so you many say movies. It in a very amusing way that I've never heard before. It is when a character is just so one-dimensional. No, no, I know what the word means. It's the way you're saying it. Anyway. So there's a bit in the movie where Trumbo is kind of saying like uh, there were there were no heroes and villains during the whole McCarthy era. Apart from it, Helen it was all. Yes. Yeah, but no, Helen Mirren completely undermines that because she's just way too evil to the point where she's just annoying anytime she's on well, screen. See, my problem isn't the fact that she's one-dimensional. My problem with her character is the way she's having no fun with it. Like, Helen Mirren, of all people, relishes that kind of role. She should be chewing the scenery, <laughs> but she's just really dryly walking around scenes just saying, oh, the word un-American over and over again, and it's really boring. But yeah. I think the reason the movie isn't Oscar-friendly, though, ultimately, is because it's way too scathing of the industry. I think the fact that John Wayne is probably the main villain of the movie, like Helen Mirren is ostensibly the main villain, but I think John Wayne's the actual main villain. And like, I just I think Helen Mirren is definitely like the antagonist in capital letters, but John yeah. Wayne is in this movie. But as he's been in the industry though, like she's like an yeah. anti gossip kind of colonist. And uh, but I think there are, there are bits of it where it's like, um, oh oh, but just one yes. more thing about the acting, Louis C.K. Fantastic. He was in brilliant. This. Yes, he was. He really could have gotten an Oscar nomination. That would necessarily have solved the Oscar so white problem. But it's uh, oh, he was he was so good in this. Uh, but he was so brave. Watcher. The makeup he had on. He was so very ginger. <laughs> the sacrifices he made. <laughs> he was actually born in Mexico, though. Did you know that? No. Anyway, anyway. We, with um, whatever it was you were talking about about the about the the way it's actually you you would think because it's about the film industry and. You know, later it's about Kirk Douglas and the making of Spartacus and mm. uh, how that movie was relevant to uh, the McCarthy era. Although, although I'm sad Stanley Kubrick didn't show up. He's only alluded to. Uh, I think it was a smart call. And also, given that they had... Um, what was the other guy? Otto Preminger. Otto Preminger. He was amazing. <laughs> There's a great scene when Cranston's at home at Christmas Day and Perry just walks into the room, seemingly into his house out of like thin air <laughs> and just declares Christmas is over in a really threatening German voice yeah. and leaves. It's wonderful. I, I guess maybe the movie couldn't... It already had so many big personalities in it. You couldn't also do Kubrick justice, I suppose. But, um, but the thing I find most surprising thing... about it is that it, it, the way it works as a comedy but also a sort of serious drama because the opening 10 minutes establishes this really kind of colourful, light, fluffy... Not fluffy. Jazzy, it's fun, fun. It's yeah, jazz, jazz music, some and really it's great like, yeah. one-liners. And then it, it sort of stands in time with communism, and then he's in jail at one for like the middle stretch of the movie. Mm-hmm. And yet, it never feels like it's totally inconsistent, despite the fact that you know people die, and it, it's that's a good point. It's oh, I can't quite I, figure out why it worked. I did, I did like how in prison. Um, Okay. Uh, there was a black character, I can't remember the actor's name, but he played Mr. Echo on Lost, and he was fantastic in this, because it starts off thinking, like, oh, this is going to be the subplot where he teaches mm-hmm. a black man to read, and, like, here we go, and he has this brilliant monologue where he's actually saying, you think you're going to come in prison and teach a black man to read, and I'm going to be so grateful, and I'm just like, oh, great, thank you for just avoiding that. He could have been Oscar nominated, too, because he, was, he wasn't in it for much of it, but he was he was great as well. I think um, what we were saying, though, but in terms of just its Oscar nominations and why it isn't getting more, even though it seems so oscar based, is that mm. there are lines in it like how the film industry turned its back on us or this Oscar has the blood of my friends on it and it says really scathing things like directly against the Oscars. He calls it a worthless hunk of gold at one point. Yeah, so, yeah. so it, it actually is... 
it, it, it's actually it's too kind of honest for its own good. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the inverse of the artist, where it, it's it is very much about the industry. It's very much about the production of cinema, and yet it's not this loving tribute to the golden mm. era of Hollywood. It's this very scathing look behind closed doors of golden era of Hollywood. It's like I think John Goodman's character is probably the most realistic. <laughs> well, not really. He, he's also With a his baseball bat and his yeah, yeah but he's just like this picture is shit, but it makes money. Rewrite it and send it out. And it's it is really not a glowing view of the Hollywood production system, especially not in its heyday. So I think that's why it probably didn't ultimately get much recognition. Um, but it deserves it. It, it deserves great. to be seen, so though. Fun. Catch up on it if you haven't seen it, because I mean, I thought it was great. I mean, I, mean, I thought okay. the, the main character is a, is a real champagne socialist. Like the yes. stuff he goes through isn't that bad, and he's like he's not that much of a hero. But it is interesting what he does with screenwriting and trying to sort of uh, work his way around the blacklist and everything. No, that's all great. I do feel that that is the one main failing. If I had to pick one, is that it it, it does try to equate his own personal struggles through. Like, well, ostensibly just the 1% of his day just kind of, oh, it's so hard. Like, I had to sell the Van Gogh. It's, like, it's that kind of level of nonsense. Or his uh, Trumbo starts off living on this big farm and he has to move to a big house in the suburbs. <laughs> oh, poor you. Pool. And the neighbours, yeah. they ruin his swimming pool because it's a communist. Like, it, it's you have to go from having a, a, like, lots of land in the country to being middle class. Oh, poor you. you know, like, but, uh, but they equate that with the persecution of you know hundreds of thousands of Americans that had much harder times yeah. than he had and his friends had. And I don't like that, especially at the end, because the end kind of plays like it was this great victory. Mm. Him winning an Oscar finally was this great victory for... The Communist Party. He won two Oscars writing under somebody else's name. So, yes. I mean, it's still an interesting story. And, like, having so. said all of that about the shortcomings, it was just so much fun. And it was it was actually, mm. like, quite good. So, it's I mean, definitely witty. catch up on it. Um, another movie I was worried about lately, just about being overlooked, was called Our Brand is Crisis. And it stars Sandra Bullock as an elections PR advisor... Um, which is a job where you go to different countries and consult different election campaigns. And they'll be relevant to us right now. It'll be irrelevant... <clears throat> it'll be relevant actually to America this year, so more people should have seen it. But I, th I, th I think the problem is it's called Our Brand Is Crisis, and for a movie about branding, that is a terrible name for a movie. I don't know what else you'd call it, yeah. but that is like, I think people just would see the posters. Uh, oh, Sandra Bullock, Our Brand Is Crisis. Uh, like just I don't know how what people would think of that. It's some kind of political thing, but they're not it's interested. It's very kind of I think almost Coen Brothers-esque kind of name. I feel like if the poster was jaunty enough, it would work, but... I, it was I, It was produced by George Clooney and Grant Heslov. They they worked together on lots of movies like Many Stare Goats yeah. or Good Night and Good Luck, also about the McCarthy era, actually. And they, they work with the Coen Brothers a lot as well, I suppose. And it had that tone to it, certainly. Yeah, and I think at one point, George Clooney was going to play the main character, and there was some discussion about the script, and they said, is there any reason this character couldn't be a woman? And they're like, uh... No, I guess not. So uh, they they cast Sandra Bullock. So I think also just as a sort of um, better roles for women thing in Hollywood, you know, it would have been nice if this movie had been seen by more people. Um, it starts off as a kind of <clears throat> the first ten minutes or so, I was really worried because it starts off as like a Sandra Bullock movie where she's like f tripping, falling out of a plane. Like it's a there's a she montage. She fell down once. No, no, the movie does get better, but I just think there was this montage on YouTube of every time women fall down in romantic comedies, and it happens a surprising <laughs> amount. It's just like, <laughs> women lose balance, that's amusing. You know, so I was worried it was going to be really it dumb. It's kind of funny. It gets so good, though. It gets really clever, and it's about them... Like, imagine the candidate is like Fianna Fáil, but a million times worse, and uh, they have to, like, make him likeable to the public, and then mm. she realises... Well, no, look, if he's going to be a brash asshole, just sort of make that his sort of selling point, that he doesn't take shit from anyone. 
And uh, I suppose we're well, seeing Donald the, Trump right now. Yeah. You know, it's bringing it, the title so of the movie. That's like, what the point is. It's to make him not likable, but to make him seem like a necessary evil, I suppose. But yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think the most comparable movie you could compare it to, that's a terrible sentence, is In the Loop, uh, which is also a movie about behind closed doors, political shenanigans, set in a kind of comedic tone, but Definitely has ultimately that about quite vibe, serious you know? things. Yeah, That's the difference, though. I feel like In the Loop is this comedy the whole way through, but at the end very much reminds you that, yes, but these people still started the war in Iraq. It still has that really down-ending. This film didn't quite stick the landing. It's not a bad ending. It could have been worse, but mm. it, it's just about on the level of getting away with it. It gets away with it because I think the ending is open to interpretation depending on Ish. your worldview-ish. Yes. Uh, but I think it just establishes just how much of a mess the country is in, how Bolivia, the, the whole thing throughout the election is the Bolivia are worried about the IMF coming in. Mm, <laughs> I'm yeah. glad we've never had to worry about that. Um, you know, the, the way it deals with the IMF is actually just so... On so like honest by Hollywood standards that you would think I suppose maybe, how many how many problem, American yeah. audiences are even yeah. familiar with the IMF even though America has a majority vote of shares in the IMF and the policies it introduces to different countries so it, it gets into stuff about that while still being entertaining yeah it, and, I think that's the problem that like it's too politically savvy for its own good to the point that it 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 would be problematic I think for the Oscars to nominate this one too heavily purely I think Sandra Bullock should have been nominated she was really good in she this. actually really was good this is like and, the best thing I've seen her in years um and but she was also I mean I think it's just that America is the bad guy I mean exactly. kind of in the same way in Trumbo the film industry are kind of the bad guys mm. some some people in the film industry aren't and others are whereas this. Um, like to to make the IMF the bad guys, you are saying you know America's economic policies and foreign policies are wrong, and I, I you know you can do that to some extent in Hollywood movies, but this yes, goes like to... Quantum of Solace, where you make up a fictional agency that is just the IMF, but call them like something like Quantum, full of nebulous businessmen with foreign accents and global mm. power plays. But here it's just yeah, it's the IMF. Anthony Mackie is sort of probably the closest thing to a good American you see in the whole movie, and even he's quite self-aware about the crap they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem, I think. Like, it, it, it is too self-aware of... It's just too... Sc- I'm, I'm surprised this got made. I don't understand how this got made, how it got financed. It's too scathing of modern American political views that it, if it was like a Michael Moore movie, I'd be like, fine, this is for his audience. But I hate it's Michael not. Moore, though. It is for I mean, that though. kind of audience, though. Yeah. Having said that, though, it is quite clever. I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot better than anything Aaron Sorkin's written lately. I'll, like, I'll put it that way. So, um... I, I think catch up on that because I just I knew once I saw the title Our Brand is Crisis nobody was going to go see it but it is actually good and worth seeing definitely um, we've one more movie to discuss which I think is definitely worth seeing even though I, I think we should probably prefix this by saying it's not for everyone no uh, before it even came out I in my head thought this will be this year's Kingsman this will be this year's Kick-Ass 2 slash Kick-Ass 1 I'm probably going to like it. All of my friends are probably going to hate it. I I couldn't judge if you'd like it or not, and I thought you might, but thought you might turn against it. The way I ended up getting went. to another screening of it, and then I just I, I, I saw it with the right crowd. Yes, I think laughing so much. Important. I had uh, see this with a crowd if you're going to see it at all. It's it. I had such a big smile on my face coming out of it. It's a mm-hmm. uh, Deadpool. Yeah, because this movie has sort of been in production hell for nigh on six years now. Because when they made X-Men Origins Wolverine, there was planned to do a Deadpool movie then, but then that movie totally missed the point of Deadpool and just made a terrible, terrible version of him. And I think it only in, came... in the comic book, he is this uh, smarmy, cocky anti-hero who breaks the fourth wall mm. 
and they stitch his mouth up and make him like a horror movie monster kind of so they, it's just the exact Wolverine, opposite yes. of... exactly like he's literally yeah. his moniker is the merc with the mouth but they make him not able to talk in that movie it's just to be but anyway I think this only got made because they accidentally leaked that test footage a couple of years ago which actually is a major part of the movie um and the internet went, oh my god, it's perfect, make that, make that, make that. And they went, okay. <laughs> and I don't think they had any faith in it. But I will say this, if you, if you don't see the movie, look up the marketing campaign. Look up the posters, look up the little snippets to TV spots. The marketing of this movie was incredible. If there was some award for marketing in Hollywood movie making, and on an Oscar level, it deserved it. It was so funny, it was so on point, it was so self-aware and brilliant. But the movie itself, yes, it's great. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, I think this is sort of his renaissance but this is his reconnaissance if you will he's because between the voices and this actually the voices kept coming in my head in this one because it's mm. an equally kind of dark comedy where he's just playing this super nice guy who's actually really a terrible human being yes <laughs> he can do that balance so he's well really good and he it. can be like a sort of charming hunky yes. hot guy whilst also like the going for the really dumb humor and great comic timing uh, like dumb humor in a good way like that's he's, the problem um, the dumb humor worked like i didn't think i'd laugh much as i did i thought i would hate most of the jokes but even the really crass ones i still found funny just the delivery was so good <laughs> He just sold every line. There were line. so many crass lines in this. I, I, let's not start quoting it. No, we're there's, no, there's actually so many brilliant uh, lines that where I was genuinely laughing out loud. Um, oh God! Like um, I do. I will. I will just say I do love that line. Um, fourth wall break inside the fourth wall break. That's like sixteen doors, <laughs> sixteen walls. <laughs> Um, mercenary guys offering him like mutation surgery or whatever, and he says, um, "How can I help you besides luring children into your van? Because you look creepy." And um, Oh, um, it's. <laughs> I'm just laughing, thinking of moments I remember from it. Not just the comedy moments, visual comedy involving the action, um, breaking the fourth wall moments. They know how many is too many. Yes. They 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 the stop just, just before right. it gets annoying. Uh, tonally, a lot of it is quite funny. Gets quite serious, especially during the bit where it's his origin story of how he became a mutant mm -hmm. superhero. That bit, the the audience completely changed, and that bit got really dark. And it was funny again after that, but it's just kind of it, this movie just had a surprisingly good grasp of tone, and like the the actors were great, like like T J Miller, Marina um, Baccarin, mm. uh, uh, Nicholas Holt's evil twin, Ed Screen. Ed Screen, yes, yeah, the, the awful transporter movie guy. And and they bring Board. in other X Men, so it is um, set in the same universe as the X Men movies. But there's actually a line where it's just like, "We need to bring you to the professor," and he's like, "Steward or McAvoy? These timelines are so confusing." And it's like it's. I suppose what you were saying about the marketing campaign is that this movie is being so self-aware about yeah. superhero movies and everything, and that, and that could get annoying, but it, it like it works. I think it's largely down to Ryan Reynolds' charm. He's just so it's charming. It's down to that, but I feel like also the fact that it was in production hell for so long, and they probably had enough time to keep rewriting the script and rewriting the script and changing and tweaking it, and I think the balance was just perfect in that it, it works as a standalone action movie, it works as a standalone comedy, but... It is very much entrenched in the modern, you know, behemoth of superhero production. It, like it is in the same universe as the current X Men movies. It does have some of those characters. It reference those movies. I'm sure he'll show up at some point. And yet, it never feels intruded on by that. Like the Marvel movies are getting to the point now where it's getting a bit. 
I can imagine if you're because this is separate fan, from the Marvel movies Disney yes. own. It's it's so Fox still own X Men yeah, and the this. Fox universe. I suppose they'll just justify it. Any of the fourth wall breaking he does, they'll just say Deadpool is crazy. Yeah, exactly. He's talking into blank space, even though he's talking to the camera, and they'll just justify it like that. It's it's so funny. It's... But it's kind of strange <laughs> that like they yeah they can bring in X Men characters and it doesn't feel weird. They don't feel the need to explain who they are, and even if you don't know who they are, it, it's it wouldn't matter. And also, I think because I, think... I, I didn't know who that I know nothing about comic books yet. I think these characters were just they were just visually they were just set up well so I was like okay yeah no, I can, big big steel Russian guy because yeah, uh, Colossus has been in the X-Men movies before yeah. but he's just, you, don't re- you don't remember him because he's always in human form but he's entirely in CGI form here and right. he was just a comedic relief and he's great and then there's but also, a teenage girl yes. who um, is I can't fantastic remember her actress's they... name or the character's name Negasonic no. Teenage Warhead? Yes, it was it? a big okay. name like that, and Deadpool goes, that's such an awesome name. And the thing was, she's um, this sullen kind of, she, she's very impatient and everything. Deadpool starts going, ooh, I'm a teenage girl, I'm all sullen and impatient, and I'm either going to go into a sullen silence or make a mean comment. Which are you going to do now? And she's like, shit, he's got me boxed in. And it's like, aha! It's like, they will even deconstruct characters as the movie is going along. It's just so... Gutsy, and I, I think probably the fact that they can go so far with it—that's probably why it's still a fresh movie. Because mm-hmm. I guess I was just worried that irreverent superhero has been done before. It's 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 Kickass, yeah. you know. It's uh, super or I still um, think Kickass like is better than this. But I still think Kickass is better than this. This is a close second in terms of that kind of movie where there it's like being a self self aware superhero movie. Mm. Like this is this was I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed this. I think it'll be one of my films of the year. I'm uh, I worried it. it will be too. I do think though uh Megasonic Teenage Warhead was probably the master stroke of the movie, purely because Deadpool as uh, what the audience wanted in terms of who the audience is, that demographic is sort of our age and older. So this is a movie for late twenties, thirty year old nerds. But Deadpool's biggest demographic is like fourteen year old boys, because that's the type of humor he has. Mm. But she's the masterstroke because she is the audience surrogate for the actual demographic that are sneaking into this movie that won't get the jokes of the true you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of his references don't make sense to her in the same way they don't make sense to the actual like fourteen year olds watching this movie. And, and, and she's it, a female... it's so many levels of self awareness. It's just perfect. She's also a female so... heroine who isn't sexualized, and but nor is she like hit girl and kick ass, where mm. it's like a big deal. Like she's she's a young girl and she can do all this stuff. It, it was just it's just very matter of fact, and including that and not yeah. making a big deal out of it. Like look how progressive we are. So that in itself is progressive. It ends up being like I just I just. No, like even just aside from all that, because this film will have some like off-color moments where the oh, yeah. humor is a bit dodgy, but it's far from perfect. Matthew. It's a lot better than Kingsman, though, so I don't <laughs> think this is comparable to Kingsman. I think I I had such a huge smile on my face when it was over, and um, I like the fuck you thing they do at the post-credits yeah, bit, um, and um. It's the most fun I've had in a movie in a while. So um, yeah, so like if that is your kind of, it, it is very violent and crass it's at times so and everything. So so it's it's, it's not gonna be for everyone. But if it, that is your kind of thing, uh, definitely see that. Like honest question, how many times do you laugh during the opening credits? The opening credits. Don't explain what they are, but that like some douchebags film starring a hot chick, the comic relief, written, written by, by the, the real, real heroes, heroes here, <laughs> directed by an overpaid hack. <laughs> oh, instantly, it, it, exactly. It establishes what this movie is trying to be. Already. While still it's being like, hyper violent and full of really horrible imagery and the, like an off color song playing. It, it was just, it's great because people so are so much audiences. General audiences are so much more savvy and familiar mm-hmm. with filmmaking grammar and everything than yeah. they're given credit for now. So that this movie, you know does that and respects the audience's intelligence. Um, but the most important thing great. is it's doing really well at the box office, which is proof that you can make an R-rated movie that is like a big budget superhero film and it still make money. So hopefully Suicide Squad will be good and then we can start getting more movies like this because mm. I'm sort of sick of the Marvel 
everything's a quippy joke for kids thing. Mm. More of this, please. Please. Yeah, and I'd be looking forward to Deadpool 2 as long as it's not like Zoolander 2, which is is, is just a collection of sketches that go on for too long and celebrity cameos that aren't funny. I uh, actually that forgot that movie existed until just now. It, 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 it's only out this month, but... Um, if we can review trailers, I saw the trailer for it finally, and <laughs> it was just the death of comedy. I did not laugh. No, okay, sorry, I laughed once. I laughed at that opening gag when he's throwing stuff at him and is throwing bigger and bigger stuff at him. That was mildly amusing. And also the visual gag of Will Ferrell... Harold Prison whatever. changed me. Yeah, and it's ripping off them fat suit. That was clever. Mm, no, but you keep the fat suit. You change his character so that he now is a big muscly ex-con. No, you don't just go it's back a funny to subversion of what he always was. Um, look, here's what I was saying. Funny instead, where the of, jokes. instead of seeing... <laughs> the teaser was funny. I've said this before. The teaser was really Then the trailer, when they actually show you scenes in the movie, it's like, oh no, when your heart sinks. So, uh, no, instead of seeing Zoolander 2, just watch Zoolander again. Um, or see Deadpool. Or Trumbo. He, there's... Brandis Crisis is worth catching is that on. Is still out? Or Brandis Crisis. Um, if it isn't, I'll, I'll find the I'm one sure screen on, that's showing yeah, it. I'm sure it'll be on the man <laughs> um, like in a week. Wink. Okay, no, well, week. we're going to have to um, wrap it up there, I think. So, oh, um, there. <laughs> we'll be back next month. Um, join us next time on the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Jonathan Victory. Yeah, see you in a month when Saoirse Ronan has won something else she didn't deserve and that movie's also gotten more awards it didn't deserve and I'll just jump off a bridge in Brooklyn and to tell make us... the irony complete. <laughs> That'll be, oh man, that'll be great. And uh, do make sure you catch something at the Dublin Film Festival and uh, tweet us, tell us what you saw and uh, what you thought of it. Have a good month. 